I wonder if you believe in justice this morning. Who likes to see justice done? Do we think we always get justice? Does it always work out like that? Perhaps we should ask the widows and orphans of Ukraine. Perhaps we could ask the crying mothers in Russia. Perhaps we could ask people that are suffering and want justice. Migrants on boats, trafficked sex workers, children working in mines to extract materials for our batteries. We need justice. We want justice. When we see a murderer on the news, the parents that have neglected their child, the man that shook a baby to death, the one who scratched our car, the neighbours who had a party all night stopping us from sleeping, the woman who pushed in front of us in the queue. We all want justice. We all need justice. We need people to pay for what they have done. We have a line that divides right and wrong. And when someone crosses that line, they need to pay. And yet when we think about God, they don't want his justice. They don't want his anger. People often ask the question, why can't he just let us all off? Why do we need to pay for sin? They might say, I don't like the idea of an angry God or the wrath of God. I want a God of love. But the problem is that if you want a loving God, you have to have an angry God. Loving people can get angry. Not in spite of their love, but because of it. In fact, the more closely and deeply you love people in your life, the angrier you can get. Have you ever thought about that? When you see people that you care about being hurt, mistreated or abused or experiencing injustice, you get mad. If we see those same people hurting themselves, we get mad out of love. It's at times like these, says Tim Keller, that your senses of love and justice are activated together, not in opposition to each other. If you see people hurting themselves or destroying other people and you don't get mad, it's because you don't care. The more loving you are, the more ferociously angry you will be at whatever harms your beloved. When we think of God's anger, we often think of it as justice. And that's right, it is. But for those of us that get angry when we see justice not being done, shouldn't we expect a perfectly just and fair God to do the same? We don't often think about how God's anger and love are at work at the same time. God loves his creation, the world he created and every living thing in it, you and me. His love and his capacity to love are immense. And so it follows that his wrath is also immense. When he looks upon the people that he loves and sees the effect of sin and its damage both to us and through us, it makes him angry. When we think for just a moment of the collective sin the world has witnessed and perpetrated, the Bible says if, if a list were made of our sins that no one 
could stand. But you think at the moment where we are now with Ukraine and the war there. And we just look back a little bit. We look at the, the genocide in Bosnia and Rwanda. Go back in the Vietnam War, the Korean War, the Second World War, the Holocaust, the First World War, Napoleonic Wars, the slave trade. And that's just a, a gloss over of a couple of hundred years. And you just think of the sin that was done to one another, by one another, and how sad and angry that would make God. When we do that, we might just start to imagine just a glimpse of the level of God's anger towards the treatment of those he loves. I don't think the word wrath quite does it, though. I think it must be more like fury. But now that the level of his fury, sorry, but know that the level of his fury is surpassed by the fierceness of his love for you and me. When he sees us being hurt, hurting ourselves under this through our collective sin, it makes him angry for justice and breaks his heart at the same time. If you don't believe in a God of furious wrath, then you don't really understand how valuable you are. You see, a God without furious wrath doesn't need to go to the cross to save you from it. I want to offer you two gods for a moment. Over here is a God that says, it's okay. It'll be all right in the end. Love wins. It'll be fine. And then I want to offer you the God of the Bible, who because he is furious at sin and evil, and what it has done to us and our relationship with him, must go to the cross to cancel our debt, pay our ransom, and suffer incredible torment that was due to us. How do you know how much this other God loves you? How do you know? He's paid nothing. His love is just a concept, an idea, or a notion. But how valuable are you to the God of the Bible? You are so valuable to him that he would die for you, suffer for you, and pay your debt himself. Keller says your understanding of God's love and of your value in his sight will only be as big as your understanding of his wrath. That wrath comes from his anger, dismay, and a desire for justice at the sin that we have both committed and been subjected to. It is sin that separates us from God, and that stirs up his wrath because he wants nothing more than a loving, worshipful relationship with us. We cannot possibly understand the full extent of God's furious wrath. But there is one who does. I want to read to you from Matthew 26 this morning. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's Matthew 26, 36 to 46. That's an easy way to remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, 
he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, that hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So what is this cup that Jesus is talking of? This cup that appears to be causing him so much trouble. We read in the Gospels, in Matthew, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In Mark, it says, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In Luke, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. There's actually a condition for this that is known to the medical world. I will try and pronounce it. Hematidrosis. Hematidrosis is a condition in which capillary vessels that feed the sweat glands, they rupture, causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. This indicates to us that Jesus was under immense physical and emotional stress. But what was it that caused Jesus to be distressed? He's talking of this cup, but he's described as triveled and overwhelmed to the point of death. I feel like dying. I feel like giving up. And he was sweating blood in a state of anguish. The words deeply distressed are used in the Gospels. And the root verb for this is to be astonished, to be taken aback, to kind of take a step back from what you've just seen and to be deeply distressed. And the word troubled, the root verb for that means to be overcome with horror. So what we see here is Jesus has been taken aback by something and he's overcome with horror. So what was it? Was it the cross? Maybe. But let's think about some of the other martyrs that have died for their faith in history. Polycarp, one of the ancient bishops and, and church leaders, when he was tied to the stake and he was about to be burned, said, this fire may burn for an hour, but do you know how long the fire burns in eternity? Get on with it. That's what he said to them. Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer in 1555 were tied together to a stake and as the kindling was set fire around them, 
Latimer said to Nicholas Ridley, Mr. Ridley, sorry, Master Ridley, words to this effect, be of good cheer. I hope that this candle that is lit today will start a fire that will sweep through Christendom. They faced death gladly. Stephen, the first martyr, as he knelt on the ground, rocks bouncing off his face and off his body, was looking to heaven with a face like an angel, looking forward to what was coming. So why was Jesus so distressed? Is it too much to believe that someone might decide that they would die to save the world? Have you ever thought about that? Would you do that? Would you die? Perhaps today, would you die today knowing that you would save the whole world? On my better days, I think maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could die on a cross. If that's what's involved is dying and the whole world is saved, I don't know. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. But in the gospel accounts, up until Gethsemane, Jesus appears unflappable. Nothing ruffles him. The Pharisees, demon-possessed people, nothing flaps him. Nothing at all. He's unflappable. But he spends some time on numerous occasions telling the disciples that he will die and be raised again. So he knew this was coming. Why this sudden distress? It has to be something more than the cross. Jesus, mind-bendingly for us, is at the same time fully God and yet fully human. He has known since before creation of the world that this day would come. And yet something surprises him to the point of anguish and blood for sweat. This perfect, sinless man has his first whiff, his first taste of sin and its consequences, the horror. And yet it is not his sin. He has never been touched by sin. And he gets a foretaste of the furious wrath of God. So this cup of wrath, it is talked about numerous times through the Bible. I'm going to tell you a few here. Jeremiah 25, 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Talking of God's anger, his holy anger. Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it, to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. Revelation 16, the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Psalm 69, pour out your wrath on them. Psalm 79, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you. Jesus knew that there would be a cup of suffering to drink. He always knew it was coming. But not this. Not this cup of wrath. Not the fury of his father. This is what made Jesus stagger. This is what made Jesus sweat with blood. Was coming face to face with the fury of God at the sin of the world. And that he would have to drink it all. Look at these two prayers in Matthew. We've just read them. My Father, if it is possible, 
May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. There's a subtle difference in those prayers. The first prayer is, if it is possible, is there another way? It still wasn't too late. The bystanders who would stand at the cross and scorn Jesus, they were right in one sense. Why doesn't he save himself? Because he could have. He could have saved himself. On the cross and in Gethsemane, Jesus could have said no. But in the garden, God tells Jesus. You can imagine him cupping his son's face in his hands and saying, my son, if we don't do this, if you don't do this, all that sin that is keeping them from us, we will never get them back. Evil will win. This is the only way. You must drink the cup. If you want to see these people in eternity, if you want to be with them forever, if you want to rescue them from hell, my son, you have to drink this cup. And that is when Jesus ferociously love for you and I was shown to be greater than the sum of our sin and of God's furious wrath. No wrath, no justice, no cup, no forgiveness, no death, no life. Our salvation was paid for on the cross, but it was won in Gethsemane. The cup of salvation that he had offered the disciples just a couple of hours earlier at the Last Supper was also ours because he drank our cup instead. The communion that we took part in this morning, the cup of salvation that we drank was exchanged for the cup of wrath. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know if you've got that picture of, of two cups. The cup of salvation on the left that is ours, that we drink of whenever we think of what God has done for us. And that darker, plainer cup of wrath that Jesus had to drink in our place. That divine exchange, salvation for wrath. We could never do it, so he did. In the midst of this eternally significant dialogue, as well as what Jesus chose to do for us, there's something else for us to take away, for us mere mortals. Jesus said to the disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all think of the disciples here falling asleep as Jesus is literally praying for his life. And we think, how could they? How could they do that? How could they fall asleep? I wouldn't have done it. If I was with Jesus, I wouldn't have fallen asleep. I wonder if you tell yourself that. The thing is, they didn't get it. They just didn't get the gravity of what was going on. They didn't realize 
what was about to happen. They'd been told many times by Jesus that he would die and that he would rise again. They would be handed over to the authorities, but they just didn't get it. They didn't understand just how hard things were about to become. Peter said, not me. Even if everyone else falls away, I won't. I won't fall away. I won't do that. So what does Jesus mean here when he says, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation? Jesus is facing his own temptation. He is tempted to give up on the mission. The devil tried to tempt him out of it all at the very beginning. Three years earlier, the devil tried to tempt him. Give everything that he wanted or he could have had without the cross. He has been tempted again. Look at Jesus. Look at how bad this is. Look at how awful this is. Are you going to do that for them? Are you really going to go through that? Are you really going to swallow this cup of wrath? Jesus is tempted temporarily to give up on the mission. He asks his father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If there's another way, is there any other way, take it from me. But if it must be, it must be. If it is your will, it is your will. Jesus was asking, could the circumstances change? And yet he still said, your will be done. He knew that when things would get tough, we can waver and we can give up. Before they came to Gethsemane, Jesus had told the disciples that they would fall away. He'd already told them. In Matthew 26, just before the passage that we've read, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. When things got tough, the disciples ran away. When things got hard, they left Jesus. When we find things tough, we often fall away or walk away. Which is why Jesus told the disciples to watch and pray. So they didn't fall into temptation. So they wouldn't be tempted to fall away. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew how hard this was going to be. He knew what the challenge would be. This would be the biggest challenge ever known to anybody in the history of the world. He knew this was going to be tough. He said, watch. Just watch. Look around you. Be aware of what's happening. And you need to pray. Because what is about to happen is going to change your world. So watch and pray. A few chapters earlier in Matthew, when James and John are arguing about who should be on the left hand and the right hand of Christ, Jesus says to them, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Jesus repeatedly told them that they would suffer. He told us that we would suffer because of the name of Jesus. We would suffer for following Jesus. There will be suffering, as Jesus had often told them. It wouldn't be the entirety of God's wrath that Jesus would have to drink, but suffering nonetheless would come for following Christ. As always, the Spirit is willing, 
But the flesh is weak, Jesus warned them. But thank God, when it was the toughest it could be, Jesus didn't run away. But he freely went to the cross. He drank the cup dry and gave up his life for us. Jesus watched and prayed. He did watch and pray. He stayed awake. He was aware. He was taken aback because he could see it coming. The disciples were oblivious. And ultimately, he didn't fall away. But instead, he resolved to drink the cup of wrath dry. He watched. He looked at the circumstances about him. He thought about what was happening and prayed. He knew he needed to pray. He knew he needed the Father if he was going to get through this. He was being tempted. He could see that. So he prayed to God, to his Father in heaven. And in the midst of the temptation, he sought a way out. A different way to do it. But in prayer, God showed him the end of the suffering. I believe between those two prayers... That while Jesus had seen the wrath of God that would be his, Jesus showed, God showed Jesus the glory that would be his. He showed him the end from the beginning. He reminded him of what it would be like. He showed him your face and my face. This is the joy that is coming, Jesus, if you drink this cup of wrath. You will be glorified and you will be with them and they will not be lost. God showed him the end of the suffering. And so again, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, the very ones that he would save, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's Hebrews 12. And we are told to consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is what Jesus was saying to the disciples. Watch and pray. You will begin to lose heart. Things are going to get hard. So you need to be aware. You need to be watched. You need to watch and you need to pray. But when Jesus told the disciples to watch and pray, what did they do? We read, we read that they fall asleep. And the result that was as Jesus predicted, they fell away. Even Peter, who hung around for a while, still went away. Are you ever tempted to fall away? Do you ever feel like this Christian life is too hard? You know, if I'm being honest, I think once in a while, I think about quitting. Sometimes I think about quitting ministry. Sometimes you have tough weeks. Sometimes you have tough days. Sometimes you miss the crucial link in family communion. And it's tough. Sometimes it's hard. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes I do think whether I want to carry on. But when I think about it, when I become aware of what's going on, that I am being tempted to give up what I've been called to. I pray to God and ask for his help. And God reminds me of what he has called me to. And I think about what it would be like to tell God on that final day that I gave up. It was too hard. 
There was only one that could say it was too hard. And he did it anyway. Then I thank God that Jesus watched and prayed and sought God's counsel and help. He didn't swerve it. He didn't go to sleep. He didn't not pray. He watched and he prayed. And he sought God. And he was strengthened by God. But I believe that the call that Jesus gave to the disciples to watch and pray is a daily call for us. A call to watch, to assess where we are, to be aware of what's going on around us, to be aware of the voices, to be aware of the schemes of the enemy, to be aware of the temptation around us. We are called to watch what's going on, what might trip us up. And there's a call to pray, to call on God and ask him to help us through our trials and temptations that we might not fall away. I don't know what test or trial that you might be facing. You may be in one of those purple patches we find ourselves in and we think, hmm, what's coming? But I don't know what test or trial you find yourself in, what set of circumstances you're in that you wish you could change. But I would invite you to watch and pray this morning. To not ask for the circumstances to change, but ask for God to strengthen you in them. Jesus wondered for a moment if the circumstances can change. But he said, but I accept if they won't. And they didn't. But God gave Jesus the strength that he needed. Jesus asked, is there another way? Can the circumstances be changed? But God showed him the joy that was to come through the trial. He showed him the glorious end. As hard as it is to believe, he saw us. He saw us. He saw us as a prize. The ones he created before the world was made. We were always on his heart. We were always in his mind. He always wanted to be with us. And God reminded him of us, of you, and of me. If you go through this, you will win them forever. They will be with you forever. Whatever you are going through, God doesn't promise to change your circumstances. But he promises to be with you in them. He promises grace to face them. He promises never to leave you or never to forsake you. Because Jesus faced that for you. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we don't have to be. However hard it is, don't fall away, but watch and pray. Remember what Jesus did. Model yourself on Jesus. When times get hard, when it looks like it's impossible, when it looks like there's no way out, there may not be. But watch and pray. And trust in the one who will see you through. You've probably heard these verses before. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Whatever you're going through, God won't leave you. He will comfort you. When Jesus said to God, I don't know if I can do this, God sent an angel to help him to encourage him, to minister to him. Don't think that God won't send you help in your time of trouble. Don't think that whatever you face, God isn't watching on 
ready to comfort you. You think you may be far away? Turn around. He's right there. So whatever trial you may be facing, however hard you think this is, if you think about giving up, if your children are driving you crazy, if your marriage is a struggle, if you've got a close friend that you are falling out with, if you've got a boss that is making your life impossible, you've got an illness that you are facing and you don't know how it's going to end, watch and pray. Don't be tempted to fall away. Jesus didn't fall away when it came to saving us. Don't fall away when it comes to following him. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through, God is with you. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. I really want us to take away three things from this message. That is... The origin of God's wrath. God is an angry God. But he's angry because he is a God of love. He's angry because he loves us. And we've been hurt. And we've been tripped up. We've been misled. We've been distracted. We've been deceived. And we've been separated from God. And that makes him angry. Because he wants us with him. And he loves us more than we could ever know. So God is angry, but his love is far greater than his anger. I want us to remember that what Jesus had to do was even more than death and resurrection. We come to Easter next week and we think of death and resurrection. And it becomes sometimes a bit familiar. Good Friday, Jesus died. Easter Sunday, Jesus rose again. And it's amazing. But what did he really have to go through? To rescue us from the clutches of evil. He drank that cup of wrath that was ours, not his. And I want us to watch and to pray. Follow Jesus' model in our times of trial. Who knows that this world we face is getting harder and harder. Just this week I read about a Roman Catholic chaplain in a hospital that was asked by a a patient what do you think about God in a certain situation? And he told him what he thought. Nothing unusual. Just told him what the Bible would say. And the guy was sacked. There's a 16-year-old in prison in Canada at the moment for speaking the gospel in the street. So I would say to us, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Be aware of what is going on around us. But also don't be frightened because our God is with us. Watch and pray. Know that things will get tough. Know that things that might get hard, but it's nothing that God won't see you through. It's nothing that God is surprised by. It's nothing that God isn't ready to help you with. So don't fall away. Watch and pray. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the band to come and join us. And we're going to sing in Christ alone. And it's been on my mind this week as I've been preparing this message and I really want us to, to look at these words as we sing this song together and think about what it is that Jesus did for us, this cross that he hung on. You know, I thought this, I read another story about, about people 
that have been fighting really hard for the right to wear their cross on their uniform. And I think that's an admirable thing to do. But Jesus didn't fight to wear a cross. He fought to hang on one. He fought to hang on that cross for you and for me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your son. We will never be able to thank you enough for your son. But I thank you that you steeled him. I thank you that you comforted him. I thank you that you showed him the joy that was set before him. I thank you that you reminded him of the glory to come and the eternal life there will be with us. I thank you that Jesus drank that cup of wrath. I thank you, Lord, that you get angry. I thank you that you are angry when we get hurt. I thank you that you are angry when we are separated from you. I thank you that you are a just God and you will see justice be done. And I thank you that that justice was swallowed up by Jesus. That we wouldn't have to. We can never put into words our thanks, our gratitude for what it is you have done for us. But Lord, we will continue to watch and pray and remember what you have done. What you did so that we don't have to. So Lord, help us to watch and pray. Fill us with your spirit that we might have discernment. Fill us with your spirit that we might be courageous for you. Fill us with your spirit that we might be ready to pray at the first sign of trouble. That we wouldn't try and face it on our own. We wouldn't try and manipulate the circumstances. We wouldn't try and change what's going on. But we would commit them to you. Just like Jesus committed his life into your hands. We commit our lives into your hands. Our circumstances into your hands. And say, Lord, your will be done. But Lord, help us. Lord, help us. We ask you to comfort us, Lord, with your rod and with your staff, even though we walk through the darkest valley, even though we walk through things that are so hard, we don't know how on earth we're going to get through them. But we know you promised to be with us. Just like you were with Jesus in the garden, so you are with us in our times of trial. So we thank you this morning. We remember what you have done, the gravity, the seriousness, the depth of what you have done so that we didn't have to. So we thank you and we bless you and we praise you. Lord, help us to watch and pray. Amen.